0: Listen to the Parliament Arts Podcast, Episode 11. Monsters are such interesting people. People let me tell you about my
1: best friend. He's a warm hearted person who loved me to the end. Of. People let me tell you about my best
0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Parliament of Rooks podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Linese.
1: and this is his beautiful wife, Melanie Linese.
0: <laughs> so, uh, so first things first. Uh, before we get started with this episode, you know, we do have a little bit of unfinished business um, from our last one. Um, you know, at the uh, the tail end of our, our last episode. Uh, I had a bit of an epiphany there, you know, regarding old uh, Prince Raw you, you remember I was saying that his appearance, you know, suddenly, you know, reminded me of uh, Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. And I was speculating that, you know, perhaps there was a uh, an influence there, you know, in his design. So I did follow up on that, you know, per my promise. Um, you know, I, I researched it as well as I could. And uh, and unfortunately, you know, I couldn't find anything Definitive linking the the two characters, you know, I believe in my heart of hearts that you know there was a, a at least a design influence. Um, but even looking at you know interviews with the uh, the creators, you know nothing at all reference apart from the fact that uh, you know fans also have observed a certain similarity. Hmm. Um, Doctor Strange was created back in uh, July of '63 by uh, a famous artist uh, that you, I don't think you know his name, but Steve Ditko. He's the, the artist that created Spider Man as well. Um, but created Doctor Strange uh, along with Stan Lee. Um, I think
1: you've mentioned him before, but otherwise I don't know the name.
0: Yeah. So, um, but anyway, his his overall design they were saying was uh, kind of influenced a lot by Steve Ditko's, you know, personal beliefs. Steve Ditko was really into sort of like you know Eastern mysticism that that whole thing, and um, he he actually he based his physical appearance on. The actor Ronald Coleman, who you may or may not remember, we saw one time in an old movie called uh, *Lost Horizon*.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, when we were watching *Lost*, we watched that as you know one of the influences on it. Um, but yeah, so he based his appearance on it, but then really tried to inform the character um, based on his personal interests, like I say, in like Egyptian and Sumerian mythology and like, you know, Jungian psychology, so on and so forth. And that really sort of hit a zeitgeist of the time, you know, with a lot of the, the college students of the time, you know, who were getting into, you know, uh, different schools of thought that were popular at that time. You know, a lot of, you know, Indian influence, so on and so forth. Anyway, so Doctor Strange really struck a chord. Um, Prince Raman, you know, that we were looking at last week... Um, the sort of reinvention there of Mark Merlin, uh, I really, really, really feel, you know, was trying to tap into that same thing. And like I say, you know, given the popularity of Dr. Strange, it wouldn't surprise me one bit, you know, if that was their template for the character. Mm. Um, but like I say, you know, I can't find anything definitive to to say that that's the case.
1: So who is Dr. Strange? Is this the character we're going to cover?
0: Um I I'm not entirely sure that we are um because he is a uh, he's a Marvel character, you know, the the whole point of this podcast is that we're doing a uh, historical overview of, of all the DC characters. Um but that being said, we did actually get a comment on our Facebook page asking that very question um from our friend uh, Vanessa Valentine, who I mentioned a couple episodes ago, you know, had expressed interest in coming on the show uh to talk about the whole Captain Marvel thing. Um, She was wondering whether or not we were, you know, going to cover Doctor Strange in relationship to the movie coming out. Um, So I'm kind of torn. Like I say, you know, we are doing a historical recap of the supernatural characters in DC comics. I was kind of thinking, you know, we might intersperse this with some of the, you know, alternate media, you know, cartoons, so on and so forth, you know, as they relate to DC characters. Marvel's sort of straddling the fence, but then again, you know, it is magic and comic related eh, we'll we'll see what happens the dr strange movie like i say is coming out i think later this year so i'll tell you what we'll go out and watch that movie and if it really really speaks to us maybe we'll come back and do an episode on that
1: sounds good to me
0: yeah so um so with that in mind, you know, thanks uh, once again, Vanessa, for the comment. And uh, for any other folks that would like to uh, comment you know, on, on this or, or any other topics that we've discussed here, um, you can do like Vanessa did and uh, reach out to us on our Facebook group. And that would be uh, facebook.com backslash groups backslash the Parliament of Rooks podcast. Or just search out Parliament of Rooks on, uh, you know, on Facebook and it's guaranteed to come up. Um, and since we're talking about it, you know, we might as well just segue then you know, for a little recap of you know, where you can find us elsewhere on the web. Um, our website you know, uh, is tporpodcast.com, and then the affiliated email address for that is tporpodcast at gmail.com. Um, additionally, uh, we're very active on Twitter as of late at TPORPodcast. And then, uh, as always, you know, if you'd like, you can subscribe to the show at, uh, at iTunes, Stitcher, or, or Podcastpedia. So just a, a wealth of options for you to, to reach out and, uh, and contact us.
1: We're everywhere.
0: Yes, we're everywhere. <laughs> um, all right, so that wraps up all of our old business, um, unless you had anything else.
1: No, I'm good.
0: You're good? All right, so with that in mind, then let's uh, move on to new business. Um, Tonight we're going to have a a little bit of change in direction, you know, thus far we have, uh, you know, covered a a lot of superhero stories or, you know, like detective type stories. Uh, Tonight we're actually going to break into a a brand new avenue, um, you know, and that being uh, humor comics. Um, now you might say, "Well, Johnny Thunder, you know, wasn't that sort of humor?" And uh, but I think you and I both know that
1: <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's
0: not. <laughs> it's a, it's a, a, a sad attempt at humor. But uh, but no, tonight um, you know is actually a a specific genre within DC Comics, you know, uh, called humor, but specific to us. Um, there was one strip that actually straddled that fence between humor and supernatural and it's a, uh, a strip that we mentioned Right on I think during the introduction. I, I said it was something that you might like uh, a, a Strip called um, Stanley and his monster.
1: Okay, so is Stanley a little boy then?
0: Stanley is a little boy and the monster is a monster <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> But before we get into all that um, I did want to just take you know a couple minutes and just talk about the uh, the history of the genre within DC Comics Um, As we alluded to, yes, you know, there were early attempts at at humor in DC Comics during the Golden Age. You know, Johnny Thunder was ostensibly a humor strip. Um, The Red Tornado, which we saw alluded to in the framing sequence there in the first JSA story. They're like, oh, is the Red Tomato coming? And remember I told you the story about how it was a... um, um, a mother who decided she wanted to protect her kids, you know, in the ghetto or whatever. So she donned mm-hmm. the sort of, so yeah. So that actually was by a, a writer-artist named uh, Sheldon Mayer. And, uh, you know, of all the the strips in the Golden Age, I, I think that's actually probably the funniest. Um, there was also, you know, like, they would intersperse a lot of their magazines with, like, you know, one-page little humor strips, you know, that, that never really, uh, you know, had any sort of staying power. Just gag strips, if you will, kind of like in the vein of, like, Mutton Jeff, you know, which you might not even know, which is really sort of silly, like, you know, wah, 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 type things. Um, but a real sort of turning point, I, I would think, for, for Humor Comics was actually at a, a different publishing company called MLJ, which you don't know by that name, um, but you probably do know by their latter name. Um, when their breakout character became super, super popular, they actually changed their entire name of their company to reflect him, and, uh, and that character was named Archie. Oh, yes. <laughs> right. So so Archie, you know, was a, a huge sort of breakthrough humor uh, strip, you know, in, in an untapped market, you know, basically teen humor. Mm-hmm. And uh, immensely popular, like I say, so much so that MLJ changed her name to Archie Comics. And on the heels of that, a lot of other publishing companies, DC included, tried to tap into that. Um, at DC, there was a couple strips, um, Leave It to Binky, <laughs> you know, during the, the Golden Age. That was, you know, also like Archie, you know, kind of the humor strip. Um, What, I see you looking at me, what, you think, leave it to Beaver?
1: I I was, and I'm trying to, because I'm assuming that Binky is... A teenager's name?
0: A teenager. But not only that, but it precedes Leave it to Beaver. This is actually probably... I, I don't know whether Leave it to Beaver took that from Binky or whether that was just a phrase. Maybe back in the day people used to say, leave it to so-and-so, you know, may, maybe. But um, but also in that vein, you know, was a, another magazine called uh, Everything Happens to Harvey, you know, but same type thing, you know, basically teenager and the sort of hijinks he would get into, you know, with mm-hmm. his friends, so on and so forth. Um, so that was the first major wave of humor at D.C., um, but a bigger wave and, you know, one that, that basically for a time sort of dominated the market was uh, something called funny animal humor. Um,
1: so is that like Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse?
0: Well, I, I would well imagine that the comics, you know, that came out of these different publishing companies were absolutely influenced by the popularity of things like Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse. Um, in fact, you know, a lot of these at DC were initially licensed movie characters you know those cartoons you're talking about um were initially shorts you know Mm -hmm. you would watch like before a movie and um and the ones you've mentioned obviously had some staying power you know obviously disney characters are still in the public eye you know warner brothers to a certain extent um, but the ones that DC was able to license were actually from uh, Columbia Pictures. And I'll ma- I've mentioned to these characters before. I think we saw an ad uh, about it. Um, but for all intents and purposes, these are long since forgotten. Um, some of the things that DC licensed were a a popular humor duo of the time called the Fox and the Crow, mm-hmm. you know. But, uh, but on the heels of that, you know, they also had some of their own inventions that, that weren't licensed characters, you know, like... Um, They published some characters like uh, Nutsy Squirrel or or the Raccoon Kids or uh, something called Dodo and the Frog, you know, but they were all sort of that same type formula, you know, just like wacky animals having, you know, these insane adventures, you know, that that humans couldn't do. And, you know, it really was a a highly, highly popular genre at the time.
1: Yeah, I I could see if people would really like that.
0: So, um, so that went on and, th- and that sort of filled the gap between the, uh, the waning popularity of superheroes of the golden age and then the subsequent rise of superheroes, you know, following the, all that um, uh, comic code stuff that we had talked about before, mm-hmm. you know, a, all these different genres like the war comics and the crime comics, you know, but then certainly also humor comics, very popular during that time. Um, another thing outside of uh, the funny animals that was immensely popular um, I mentioned the Red Tornado, you know, the yeah. creation of uh, Sheldon Mayer. Well, one of his other and probably more famous creations, I would say, is a uh, is a little duo called uh, Sugar and Spike. And uh, these are basically um, two babies, a boy and a girl baby,
1: mm-hmm.
0: who, very similar to like, you know, the Rugrats cartoon, um, would have seemingly like adult adventures, you know, they would be, you know, the uh, protagonists of of these stories or whatever, you know, but meanwhile, their parents would be completely oblivious to what they were up to. And they even had like this sort of like gobbledygook language they would speak, you know, to each other that they would completely understand, but that all adults would hear just like as, you know, blah, 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 blah. blah. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but like like I said, but hugely popular and actually quite funny, you know, if, if ever, not within the context of this show, but, you know, maybe offline, I'll show you a couple sugar and spike things. And they're actually quite clever little stories. Okay. Yeah. But, um, but like I say, all that is, is basically background then, you know, for what we're leading into tonight, because that one title that I had mentioned, the, uh, the Fox and the Crow, um, had been running for quite some time, you know, by the time we are going to begin talking about it. Um, it actually started in uh, December of 1951. Um, we're picking up, you know, our narrative here in December of '65. So, so this licensed character, um, you know, basically had been running for 14 years. That's
1: a long time.
0: Yeah, it is a long time. And and but what's more is that it's also a lot of money to be shelling out to, you know, a uh, a movie company, you know, for what are essentially defunct characters. <laughs> so um, so in what I think you know might have been an attempt to get away from having to to pay those licensing fees, you know, DC Comics tapped one of their uh, go to guys that you know had had helped uh, you know sort of bail out some of their failing titles in the past a writer by the name of uh, Arnold Drake um now Arnold Drake uh, you may or may not remember was the uh, the author of a couple of the uh, the Mark Merlin stories that we covered thus far um he was the one who actually did the origin story for Mark Merlin the uh, the trial by fire mm-hmm. and then um and then they have him listed as the author of Captain of the Cat Curse. Um, but as we mentioned last time, you know, I'm going to put a question mark next to that, um, given the fact that in the uh, first Prince Romance story, they uh, they used a, a name from that. Uh, Gamal, you know, oh, yeah. it, it occurred, you know, in the, the earlier story and also in this one. Um, but ostensibly, that second one was written by, uh, by Bob Haney. And I think that it's too weird of a coincidence that they would use the same foreign name. So so I'm not sure whether Arnold Drake actually did Uh, Captain of the Cat Curse. Um, But like I say, he had worked for DC uh, for quite a number of years, you know, in uh, some of those anthology titles, you know, certainly House of Secrets, uh, some stories in in House of Mystery. Um, He had actually done a couple Batman stories, believe it or not. Um, But when I refer to him as, uh, you know, somebody that DC had turned to to help, you know, bail out some of their failing titles, um, a great example of that is probably what he is best remembered for um which is a superhero team called the uh, the doom patrol
1: as in your friend's podcast
0: oh you've heard the uh, the doom patrol yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so um yeah for the benefit of my listeners um i've mentioned before the uh, the Legion of Substitute Podcasters. Uh, one of the guys from that show, uh, Scott Coles, runs a, a Doom Patrol focused podcast, or, or did. I, I'm not. He, he may not be doing it anymore. Uh, called the Doom Pod Patrol, and uh, I'll tell you what. Just for general purpose, I'll go ahead and add that to our site. I <laughs> will link there. But, you know, if there's any fans of that. Um, but yeah. But what the Doom Patrol was was basically kind of a, a really unique concept. They were a, uh, a reluctant superhero team. You know. um... They first appeared in a a magazine called My Greatest Adventure, uh, which up until that time was uh, similar to the early days of Showcase, you know, sort of like everyday heroes, you know, um, just uh, people who had unique adventures, you know, but nothing like superhero-y. But as we talked about before, you know, once the uh, Justice League really started taking off in popularity, um, there was a real demand um, by DC to revamp a lot of their titles to be superhero focused. Um, so in that case, like I say, you know, they turned to Arnold Drake and said, hey, can you come up with an idea to kind of, you know, get My Greatest Adventure, you know, back back on its feet? And, uh, and so the idea that he came up with, like I say, is a group of heroes, you know, "Quote unquote," who view their powers basically as curses. You know, they are—they mm, okay. um, don't want to have these powers. And so, what it really is—and this would be more closely examined in the '80s under a writer named uh, Grant Morrison. But at its core, you know, what uh, he was examining was the idea of superhero team as group therapy. Basically, these are all damaged individuals who hate themselves, but together in this team, you know, act as a support, and, and that's where the cohesion is. Really sort of heady stuff for, for the 60s, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and like I say, you know, explored deeper in in the 1980s. Um, so, like I said, that's probably Arnold Drake's, you know, greatest legacy. Um, but then there's another character. Um, there was a title called uh, Strange Adventures, which was, you know, the same type of thing as House of Mystery, House of Secrets, you know, weird sort of twisty tales, um, but that started failing. Uh, DC again turned to Arnold Drake and said, you know, can you help us out here? And uh, he introduced another character that we will get to in a few episodes. Um, one of my favorites, you know, I've mentioned a couple times, uh, the character Dead Man.
1: Mm, yes, right. uh, you, you have mentioned him.
0: Yeah, so, uh, so when we get to that, we'll probably, you know, delve into Arnold Drake's story a, a little bit deeper. Um, but long story short, um, going back to Fox and the Crow, once again, Arnold Drake's the guy DC turned to and said, look, we need really need to get rid of, you know, the licensing fees here. Can you come up with a humor-centric title that we can begin to wean the book, you know, across toward." And, uh, and that was where the uh, the genesis of the idea of Stanley and his monster came from. Mm-hmm. Um, taking a look at uh, comics.org, it says that the uh, the initial artist for this strip, um, you know, the co-creator with Arnold Drake, is a fellow by the name of Wynne Mortimer. And, I mean, I have no reason to doubt them other than my own eyes. When I took a look at this story, the artwork here really, really, really looks to me like another artist named uh, Bob Oxner, um, who... Uh, was involved in actually another subgenre of uh, of DC humor comics. You know the uh, the licensed you know uh, Hollywood star comics. We had seen an ad for Bob Hope and Jerry Lewis comics. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Oxner was the artist on that, and I swear that this initial story uh, for his monster looks exactly the same. But who knows? Maybe that was a DC. House humor style. Maybe they said, "Hey, we really like Bob Oxsner. Hey, Win Mortimer. Try to try to emulate some of that." Could be. Um, I do know that later on, uh, Win Mortimer would go on to create in the in the late sixties a, a humor title called uh, called Swing with Scooter. <laughs> he was basically like a a liverpudlian like band guy almost like a beetle or whatever mm-hmm, yeah. but uh, teen focused you know uh, humorous strip um so anyway we'll we'll accept comic.org's you know information here and say that uh, Stanley and his Monster is the creation of uh, of Arnold Drake and Win Mortimer um so the first issue that we are going to look at you know with this uh, new strip is uh, the Fox and the Crow number 95 uh, from December 1965 January 1966 uh, as I mentioned, uh, this story is by Arnold Drake and Wynn Mortimer, uh, letters by Gaspar Saladino. Um, the cover is by a, a fellow by the name of Mort Drucker, uh, who did uh, both pencils and inks. And um, Mort Drucker, to my mind, is probably best known as the uh, the artist on Mad Magazine, you know, all throughout the 80s. He's the guy that really did a lot of the uh, really keen characters whenever they did, the, they did movie adaptations. Um, Mort Drucker, you know really you know could capture you know actors faces really really well um so that's where i best remember him from uh the letters on the cover are by uh, our old friend uh, ira schnapp Mm. um so let's go ahead and uh, take a look at that cover um so as i say yeah in in these early uh you know issues that introduced stanley and his monster you know it's almost an afterthought you know we just see uh um, the, the primary focus here is basically the uh, the licensed characters, Fox and the Crow. You know, we see a little uh, scene here of, uh, you know, Fox preparing his breakfast, you know, a stack of pancakes. Um, but as he's flipping them out, out of his pan, you know, uh, oblivious to his... Uh, Uh, predicament, you know, as they go to land on the pan, you know, Crow has uh, stuck his little beak in there and is intercepting them. Indeed. (laughs) Uh, Let's see, we see an ad at the top for a sparkling new feature. Um, You'll roar at those rock and rolling cute little kooks, the the Bratfinks, apparently. There's also a new feature here introducing a a mouse-focused biker (laughs) <laughs> humor strip. <laughs> um, but then, you know, the reason we're reading this is our, our little inset here. We see introducing Stanley and his monster. And we see, you know, a cute little, uh, you know, boy. Um, and so uh, He looks
1: very innocent. Innocent.
0: But like, I, I think I said this in our initial uh, uh, episode, you know, but basically... The concept here is very, very similar to Calvin and Hobbes, you know, basically a boy who has a um, a friend who is a, a creature that only he, you know, is aware of, you know, now whether or not this is imaginary or whether or not, you know, this, he's just very good at hiding this, you know, remains to be seen. Um, but the reason I bring that up is take a look at the, at the little boy. I mean, he looks almost exactly like Calvin, right? Quite a bit, yeah. So I don't know whether or not Bill Watterson, you know, the creator of Calvin and Hobbes, was inspired by this, or maybe it's just like an, an archetypical, you know, boy, you know, little blonde, you know, Dennis the Menace type. I was just kid. gonna
1: say he's just like Dennis the Menace as well.
0: Yeah, and then we see, you know, and holding this, uh, you know, Dennis the Menace-looking character, this Calvin-esque boy is uh, is the monster um, who is what color?
1: Oh well, he's purple. He's of purple, course. of
0: course. So they're just saying, you know, let's dispense with the background. Let's make a, a whole character who's purple. And he's like, he's basically a big hulking, hairy figure, you know, with like uh, almost looks like a bear, but you know, with like sort of fangs coming out out of his uh, his face. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, crack this one open and uh, get introduced to Stanley and his monster, who are actually right on the very first page, you know. So uh, obviously, you know, right from the get go, DC is trying to sell this as you know the the new feature. Yep. Um, So we see Stanley and his monster in a uh, story entitled, When is a Dog Not a Dog?, and our our initial half-page splash, you know, this is not part of the story, but like I say, you know, sort of introducing the concept, you know, we see Stanley leading the monster in, you know, by a a leash through the front door, you know, as his dad, with his back turned to him, is just, you know, sort of reading the paper, Stanley says, uh, Say, Dad, see what I brought home? Isn't it a beauty? (laughs) <laughs> Stanley's got, yeah, a horrible lisp.
1: Yeah.
0: Mmm, <laughs> says his dad. Oh, yes, very nice. Is it a dog? I don't think, though, so, says Stanley. Good. As I've said before, you're too young for a dog. So uh, so let's go ahead and start our story as one almost quiet day in the home of Stanley Dover. Uh, we see Stanley's mom, which, as I say, you know, very Bob Oxner-esque. You know, Bob Oxner has a an art style, to my mind, that sort of combines... Innocent with sexy, you know, with regard to to women, like one of the big characters that he would do later on is Supergirl. And he would always make her sort of, you know, very becoming but innocent at the same time. And so that looks to me like an Oxnard face. But like I say, you know, maybe Wynn Mortimer is is aping that style. Um, But anyway, we see uh, Stanley's mother, you know, calling out, Stanley, where are you? Well, she thinks... He should be easy to find. He left a clear enough trail, as we see Stanley's toys Toys, all over the floor, his little truck and his baseball and his mitt. Yo-yo. Yeah. Clothing everywhere, thinks his mom. Floor, table, shelf, light fixture. Good grief. Where was he walking to? The moon? Um, But prior to looking on the moon, she looks in the bathroom, (laughs) where she thinks, Stanley! She sees, you know, her her young son there, uh, poised on the edge of the bathtub, getting ready to take a dive. Attention! Stanley, the world's greatest bathtub diver, will now dive 70 zillion feet into the tub. And as he does so, you know, as you would expect, you know, there's a big wave of water that, that soaks his mom. Hmm. Hi, Mom. Wasn't I great? Huh? Pretty good? Huh? Not too bad? <laughs> uh, t- did he notice how clean I'm getting? Just wait until your father gets home, young man, says his mother. He'll show you how a hairbrush dies right into your backside. <laughs> wait, Mom, Stanley says desperately. Couldn't I mop out the bathroom? Couldn't I put away my clothes, clean the garage? Whack the car? Anything! <laughs> as then he, uh, you know, turns to his little toy clown, apparently named Clowny, and says, Clowny, at a time like this, there's only one thing for a fearless, brave, and courageous young boy to do. Run away from home. <laughs> and so we, uh, we cut out to the living room as, uh, you know, Stanley's probably making preparations there, as we see Stanley's father collapsing into his armchair. What a day! Almost lost an account. Bakerhoff's beans! "'My boss, Mr. Gerber, chewed me out, and Miss Zotz, my secretary, fainted.' "'I'll trade you,' says Stanley's mom. Two binkerhoffs, three Gerbers, and five Zotzes for one Stanley. "'Today was a circus day, a trapeze turn on the chandelier, "'a tightrope walking in the laundry line, and an aqua act in the bathroom.' "'Hmm,' says Stanley's father. "'This calls for real discipline.' "'Easy, Mitch,' says the mother. "'Remember, he has no brothers or sisters to play with, no pets, not many friends, so... "'Stop excusing his fantasy, Sheila. "'He must learn to be realistic.' I won't have that boy's head full of fairy tales and imaginary playmates. I knew it, so thinks Stanley, you know, listening in from his door.
1: (laughs) What's he wearing?
0: (laughs) I think, you know, he's wearing his cowboy boots and cowboy hat, but he he doesn't yet have pants on. He sees his his boxer shorts, yeah. So he's thinking, uh, I knew it. The captain is blowing his top. Time to check out. I'll take a road map and a compass. I can't read them, but Dad can, and he gets lost anyway. And uh, we see Stanley, you know, sort of... uh, commandeering his dad's roadmap but uh, his dad you know turning the corner isn't having any of it he gives stanley by the scruff of the coat young man where do you think you're off to just down the street to china <laughs> he says as his dad you know swings him around and sets him down on a chair now you listen to me stanley you're a bright boy but you still do stupid things <laughs> why <Wow>. <laughs> <laughs> that's some parenting there mitch <laughs> i don't know sir i try to be just like you says stanley get this straight You're a six-year-old boy, not a circus performer, motorcycle cop, astronaut, or rock and roll singer.
1: You don't know that.
0: (laughs) That doesn't leave me much, does it, Thur? Sir. Mitch, maybe if we got him a pet, says his mother. A dog is out, says his father. Not even a small dog, Thur? Not even a midget chihuahua, says his dad, pointing at him. His dad really was like, you know, it must have been a really rough day at the office. Yeah. (laughs) I can't understand it, says the, the father. That kid's got everything. Security, affection, good home influences, as we see his dad just like chain smoking. Dear, says Sheila, you've got cigarettes in each hand and one going in the ashtray. What is it with him? says the father just, you know, swinging around frantically. He's got an IQ of 149, nearly a genius, and still he sucks his thumb. Maybe he's got a dumb thumb, says his mom. Look out, you dropped a cigarette. What's a dumb thumb?
1: I have no idea.
0: Mm. Well, we're not parents, so maybe we don't know this terminology. But uh, but anyway, as, as he drops a cigarette, the dad doesn't even think about it. He's just like, well, a dog's out. He doesn't need it. I didn't have a dog when I was his age. And look how you turned out, says Sheila. So calm and unruffled. Right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> so he's stomping around.
0: He's stomping around. Um, so anyway, the next day, uh, we see uh, Stanley, you know, out in the field with the, the big kids. Hey, Philip, can I play too? He's asking as they're, you know, playing a... a Pickup up game of baseball here. I can run and catch and scram, midget, says the older kid. Gosh, if only there are some guys my own age around here, thinks Stanley as he walks away, you know, all downtrodden. I bet I've got the smallest gang in the world, me. And uh, behind him, you know, we hear the baseball game continuing to go on. Okay, Hal, knock the cover off the ball. Catch the ball, Don, is getting away! As the, uh, the ball from the game sort of, you know, bounces out of the field and paths Stanley, you know, rolling toward what looks to be an open manhole. Oh boy, thinks Stanley. Maybe if I caught it, they'd let me play. Uh-oh, it's going to go down into that open sewer. As he chases it, but uh, too late, he thinks. It fell in. But there's a ladder. Maybe I could climb down and get the ball. Ready or not, here I come, here I come, here I come, as the uh, sewer echoes him. Actually, you know what? This does look a little bit like Wind Mortimer. Um, I'm just going to interject here real quick. Wynn Mortimer later uh, in his career would go on to be um, the replacement artist on Legion of Superheroes. So that's, that's where I'm most familiar with him. Uh-huh. And there's something, I, and I can't put my finger on it, but there's something in the curvature of this sewer that actually does remind me of Wynne Mortimer. So like I say, maybe he was just, you know, aping the humor house style. Um, so, but anyway, as Stanley is uh, going down the sewer, you know, we, we see a thought balloon thinking, oh my goodness gracious, who comes? Who's invading my home? As we uh, then pan down and see it's the, the monster himself. I thought I'd be safe in this dingy dungeon, but no place is safe for me. First, it was like that lovely lake I went swimming in a few centuries back. And we see the monster flashing back as uh, you know uh, medieval men are throwing spears at him. After him! Kill him! It's the Loch Ness Monster! <laughs> as he thinks, gracious, why are they throwing those nasty spears? Then I moved to England, as we, uh, you know, flash forward a little bit to, uh, you know, Days of Nights. Yon fiery dragon shall feel my steel this day. Mother said I was too young to smoke, and she was right, says the monster, you know, puffing smoke out his nose. So then I had to move again. To a Peaceful cave in Tibet. Some peaceful. Oh, I wonder if... Uh you know, Rick Carter is that his name? Misto? <laughs> <laughs> if you ran into the Stanley's monster over there, I mean, maybe. <laughs> Abominable snowman, get him! As we see the uh, the locals, you know, throwing spears again at him. Bring big price, Ringling Brothers Circus again with the spears. This is there no safe domicile for poor little me? Little, and just <laughs> I, I've I've been using this for a little bit, just but I. Uh, I thought it would be sort of funny to counterpoint, you know, the fact of his, you know, his appearance with his very sort of proper accent. And if you look at his verbiage, you know, it sort of reflects yeah. that. So I'm giving it him does. a yeah, slightly, uh, you know, refined British accent. So anyway, so we go back to modern times as he continues thinking about his predicament. So I chose this quiet suburban sewer. Things were peaceful till now. but Here we go again with the spears. As, uh, <laughs> <laughs> as not carrying a spear, you know, we see young Stanley, you know, climbing down the ladder. Now, where is it? I'm so angry I could hit it with a stick. <laughs> Eek! So, <laughs> says the, the monster, obviously, in, in misinterpreting this. <laughs> oh, pardon me, sir, says Stanley. I didn't mean to frighten you. Did you happen to see a ball down here? Hm. Aren't you afraid of me, young man? Says the uh, the monster, you know, surprised that, uh, you know, certainly Stanley's not looking to uh, poke him with a spear. No, of course. You're pretty big, and your body's pretty furry. Too furry for a dog. A dog, says uh, the monster. But, why, well, of course... Didn't you ever hear of shaggy dog stories? Mm, yes, yeah, I think, so. They're the stories my dad tells that my mom says they're stupid. As a monster thinks to himself, this dim light must be obscuring the boy's vision. Beg pardon, but why do you live down here? asks Stanley. Because men keep chasing me. Uh, uh, dog catchers and those kinds. <laughs> dog catchers. <laughs> right. Boy, if you were my doggie, I wouldn't let anyone catch you. Says Stanley. I'd keep you safe and sound. You, You would? Then possibly... <laughs> "'Couldn't I be your dog?' "'Never,' says Stanley. "'Ah, uh, his vision's cleared at last. "'He sees me as I am,' thinks the monster. "'Because my daddy says I'm too young to have a dog. "'Aha! <laughs> "'Oh, well, never mind. We'll, "'We'll find a way to change your daddy's mind.' <laughs> "'You think, though?' So? says Stanley, all excited. "'Gosh, come on, let's go, then!' As the, uh, "'As the two of them, you know, climb out of the sewer, "'you know, into, into the sunlight, "'which uh, apparently doesn't take well to the monster because he recoils, saying, "'Eek, what's all this brightness?' Don't be afraid, you'll get used to it. As uh, we see in the distance, ruff, ruff, (laughs) as as a tiny little like chihuahua comes running up and the monster goes, get that thing away from me, help, help, stop it. And Stanley, you know, yells at the little dog, you nasty little dog, you leave my dog alone. (laughs) (laughs) And and then Stanley turns, you know, to the monster and says, you silly dog, why did you run? That other fellow is much smaller than you. Uh that's just it, says the monster, you know, hiding behind a tree. I was I was afraid I'd destroy him. When I when I'm angered, I'm i I'm a monster. But uh yeah, <laughs> clearly that's not the case. You know, he's he's very afraid of the the tiny little uh chihuahua. So uh so meanwhile, while this is going on, let us flash back to uh to the Dover household, where we see uh you know Mitch Dover still stewing over his uh his uh sales account here. Boy, this Binkerhoff beans is more trouble than ever. What's bugging them? says uh Sheila. They bring out a new size can, extra-large, says Mitch, and they need a name for it. That's it? The whole big deal? Why don't they just call it extra-large? Are you for real, says Mitch. He's a bit of a jerk. Yeah, I don't like him. (laughs) Their smallest can is called Jumbo. Then comes Mammoth, followed up by Gigantic. Now what? Beats me, says Sheila. Couldn't you have been something easy like a parachute jumper or a lion tamer? uh, The door opens and we see Stanley, you know, creeping in. Dad? Let's see. Super... Whopper says the father, not hearing him, please, Dad, not now, Stanley says his father, but it's important. It's, it's about this pet I found. no dog says his father, not even turning around. I told you that already, now, let me work, but it's amazing, it's much taller than a man. It's got fur like a bear and, and big elephant tusks, and there he goes again, thinks his father with that wild imagination of his, yes, yes, that's fine, son says the father, not turning around as long as it's not a dog now, now, let me work, all right, sir, says Stanley, you know, all oh, there happy. You go.
1: Dad said I could.
0: Yeah. And uh, so as the uh, the monster, you know, brings Stanley up the stairs, he says, Well, I didn't lie. I didn't say that you weren't a dog. No, technically speaking, you, you told nothing but the unvarnished truth. <laughs> as, uh, they reach Stanley's bedroom and, uh, you know, the monster collapses on, you know, a clearly undersized bed for him. You know, he's saying, uh, My, this is a tiny bed. Well, we'll enlarge it. We must find some place for you to sleep, though. Aren't you, <laughs> aren't you hungry, doggy?" asked Stanley. Indeed I am. Could you try to find about 15 pounds of jaguar hearts and 25 pounds of rattlesnake eyes? As, uh, as we flash back downstairs and, you know, see the, the father, you know, catching the mother up to speed on what Stanley said. And he's like, then our little kook tells me that this pet is like 10 feet tall with fur like a bear. And well, he's a regular monster. As uh, suddenly he struck my inspiration. Hey, that's it, he says, snapping his fingers. Don't you see the new extra large can of Bancroft beans? Monster size. That's it. As uh, Stanley comes in, pardon me, sir. You did it, son, says the father, you know, snatching up Stanley. You inspired the idea that will save my job. Any reward you want is yours. Anything? asks yes, Stanley, anything, says the father. Well, please then, could I have 15 pounds of jaguar heart and 25 pounds of rattlesnake eyes? As the, the father does a, you know, a double take. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. So and then our uh, our narrator comes in. Want us to print more tales of Stanley and his monster? Right, Fox and Crow, national periodicals, da 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 da, da New York, New York, blah 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 blah. <laughs> so the end. yeah, so similar to uh, House of Secrets, you know, maybe they're once again sampling the audience. Do you, know, mm-hmm. you like Looking this? Do feedback. you want us to keep it? You know, because because we desperately need to get rid of Fox and Crow. <laughs> <laughs> so. uh. So let's continue right on then um, to our second story in uh, Fox and the Crow number 96 um, from February, March 1966. Uh, there's a story called Please Don't Pet the Monster. Uh, once again, written by Arnold Drake. Uh ha, with pencils and inks I see here mm-hmm. by Bob Oxner. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe they were in the pool of humor artists and they sort of, you know, went uh, went back and forth and, and maybe very compatible, maybe a similar mm-hmm. art style. Cover once again, uh, pencils and inks by Mort Drucker. Um, so let's go ahead and take a look at that cover, as, uh, as yes indeed, it's a, uh, another fox and crow-centric cover, you know, the uh, uh, fox is peering into his refrigerator for apparently, you know, the turkey he left behind, but finds nothing but bones, as we see, you know, crow hiding in the door, smacking his chops, obviously, uh, uh, gross. Did he eat, did the crow eat turkey? <laughs> yeah, there's something really wrong about that. <laughs> so, uh, and then off to the side we see, uh, you know, two vignettes and the Brat Finks, the sort of, you know, motorcycle mouse thing. Um, those rock and roll rascals run riot again. Um, but then Stanley and his monster, um, in the goofiest love story ever told. You see Stanley, you know, atop of a ladder, you know, with little hearts in his eyes. I, I, I don't know if that's for the monster or, you know, or what I think that's so. about. Um, So let's uh, open it up and and find out what's going on. So once again, page one, uh, Stanley and his monster, um, continuing the warm human adventure series that asks the question, is there room in the world for a five-year-old boy and his ordinary 1,200-pound prehistoric pal? Please don't pet the monster. Mitch, I've turned this whole house upside down, says Sheila, and I can't find our ladder. Please, Sheila, I'm busy, says uh, Mitch, He, he needs a different job. The boss wants me to do a pet show promotion for our dog food account, Barco Biscuits. Besides, if something's missing around here, the best one to ask is Stanley. What would a five-year-old boy do? be doing with a six-foot ladder? Oh well, I'll go up and ask him anyway. As, uh, you know, we spy into Stanley's room, and indeed he has the six-foot ladder, you know, uh, at the top of which, you know, he, he's, he's crouched and he's saying, but I certainly think it's time to explain to my folks about you, he says to the monster, but what to explain? I was lonely and I wanted a pet and then I found you and shh, someone's coming. Not yet, Stanley, says the monster. Crunch, crunch. Let me enjoy the warmth and comfort of your home a bit longer before they throw me out. Incidentally, we're running out of these delicious lizard livers. Crunch, crunch. Uh, hopefully he's not eating lizard livers. And, uh, and then we see the monster reading a book, which is a, to, an anthology of romantic poetry. So yes, <laughs> he's a he's a very refined monster. Let's uh, turn our page. As we see, yes, you know, his mother's knocking on the door and, uh, you know, the monster in, in fright, you know, tries to hide under the bed. Um, but, uh, you know, but obviously he's far too large for it. He knocks it over. Uh, coming, mother, says Stanley, you know, heading to the door as the, the monster's scrambling for a place to hide. Stanley, have you seen the ladder, says his mother as the door opens. Uh, ladder? Ladder? What would a five-year-old boy be doing with a thick-foot with a ladder? Funny, that's just what I asked, says the mother. Well, might as well look anyway. We'll start under the bed where all your junk winds up. Oh, come on, a six-foot ladder's not going to fit under that bed. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh, thinks Stanley. Gotta do something quick and smart. There's a... <laughs> Stanley suddenly starts, begins feigning sickness. Stanley, what's wrong? Oh, my stomach! My poor, delicate little stomach! <laughs> Ow! Eey, yi. What's going on up here? Shuts he shouts the father. It sounds like somebody's beating a cat with an accordion. Stanley says his stomach hurts, says Sheila. Young man... What did you have after dinner tonight? After the three pickles, two slices of cherry pie, and four scoops of ice cream. The only thing he could have had after that, says the father, is a stomach pump. As You see, you know, Stanley in a very comical position there, sticking his tongue out. And, uh, okay, so, yeah, Bob Osner art. Um, You see what I'm talking about? You know, the sort of uh, cheesecake, but, you know, innocent at the same time. The mother's in a very, you know, sort of, uh, you know, risque, sexy position there. (laughs) So, um, anyway, as the father says... uh, you can see what this situation calls for—some castor oil," says mm. <laughs> oh, so Stanley suddenly. You know, rethinking his ruse. I was afraid you'd think of that. Hey, all of a sudden, I feel wonderful, super duper, simply swell. Wee! As he starts, you know, turning cartwheels. Amazing what these wonder drugs will do, eh? Says the father. Let's go, Sheila. I thought of some sensational prizes for the pet show. The entrance money is going to charity, so I really want it to come off. As, uh, as the parents leave, and we see, you know, the monster's eyes peeking out from under the bed. Oh, are they gone? Yes, you can come out now. I heard my daddy say that they're planning a big pet show. Gives me a sensational idea. Can we discuss it later? Says the monster. Ugh, it just keeps getting harder and harder to crawl out from under this bed. But Stanley explains his idea. I'll enter you in the pet show, and when you win first Prize, Dad will be so proud to have a dog like you, he'll let me keep you. Oh, my aching back, says the monster. Do you have some infra-rub in the house? Let me see, some (laughs) some 1960s, you know, uh, Bengay, apparently. As, uh, as apparently, suddenly Stanley's words, though, you know hit the monster because uh, he recoils, and thinking, "'A dog? Oop, I almost forgot. The boy thinks I am a dog. That's why he brought me home from that horrible sewer.' "'Yeah, yes, yes, a dog, of course. Um, but let me explain. You see, Stanley, I'm not an ordinary dog. I'm, I'm a very rare species, and so—' "'Oh?' says Stanley. Uh, "'Don't you see? If you expose me to the public, some jealous individual might steal me away.' "'Oh!' says Stanley, you know, not liking the sound of that." I certainly wouldn't want that to happen, because I love you, and Aww. I love <laughs> and I love you, Stanley," says the monster. You know, uh, giving him a little Sucking hug. Sucking up. Yeah. So, uh, so later on, apparently, you know, we see the uh, the Dovers there at their dinner table as the father is, you know, um, prattling on. And get this, honey, since it's a pet show for the kids, the big prize will be a super deluxe bicycle. That's nice. Please press the bread, dear," says Sheila. A bike, a bike! Wow," says Stanley. A, a two wheeler. Of course, says the father. With training wheels? If the winner wants it, says the father. Mitchell, please pass the bread, says the mother. Can can anybody enter, asks Stanley. Anybody except employees or relations or the sponsor of my agency, says the father. Stanley thinks, good thing he's only my dad, not a relation, like an aunt or an uncle or an in-law. As And mother's just fed up, and she's like, the bread, please! Um, But, you know, Stanley, super excited, just bounds off the table, thinking, boy, I gotta tell my dog about this! (laughs) But, uh... Stanley's father, obviously, you know, flustered by, you know, his wife shouting in his ear about the bread, goes, Stanley, the the butter, the butter! No thanks, Dad, I've had plenty! And he runs away. Sheila, why doesn't that boy ever listen to me? Um, You know, the irony, because obviously he's not listening to her, because she decides that she's going to butter his tie. Um, So, (laughs) we we flash back upstairs as, uh, you know, Stanley um, talks to his monster, you know, who's in the the midst of, uh, (laughs) you know, painting a, a landscape there. He says... So you see, we just gotta enter you in that pet show, as Monster finally relents, saying. I see it's terribly important to Stanley. Oh, well, why not? This canvas wasn't going too well anyway. Uh, so, the day of the show, you know, we see uh, Stanley primping his monster. Well, I did precisely what you asked me to do, but are you certain you- that's what you want? As, uh, "'Let me see,' as, uh, as we see the monster, you know, with uh, curlers in his hair and, you know, holding up the mirror. "'Divine! Just the effect! This has got to win the Handsomest in Show Award! Let's be off!' <laughs> as, uh, he looks out the window and, and sees, you know, other kids in the neighbourhood, you know, carrying their pets in, in little carriers. "'Stanley, those children are in their pets to the show in special carriers. I must have one, too! How you if I arrive there on foot!' "'Well, it won't be easy to build,' says Stanley.' You're so big. But, okay, I'll sneak some wood into the basement. As, uh, <laughs> as apparently he does so because we flash forward to, you know, a, a huge wooden crate that, uh, you know, Stanley has built on wheels. <laughs> he, uh,
1: this is a handy little boy. a
0: very handy little kid, yeah. So, done, says Stanley. Now we'll paint your name on it. Say, hey, what is your name? Massachusetts, says the uh, <laughs> and the monster. Are you kidding? Mathathoot. Mathathoot. That place you said where Boston comes from? That's one of the United States of America. (laughs) United what? (laughs) says the monster. United States! You know, the USA. (laughs) I know, says the monster. I just like to hear you say it. Oh! How'd you get a funny name like that? Well, for centuries I had no name. People just yelled, hey you, or or, hey uh, monster. I mean, hey dog. So I had to pick a name. (laughs) Then I met this lovely Indian tribe with a very romantic name. Massachusetts? Mathis, That's romantic. I can't even say that. That's got to go. Meanwhile, I'll call you what they used to—dog. We'll get a better name later. Hm. What could be better? Says the monster. You know, holding up Stanley as he, he paints his name "dog" on the on the side of nice. the, the crate.
1: He's got good handwriting for a little kid. <laughs> yes, with a paintbrush.
0: Yeah. So, so we go forward in time. Apparently, as we see, you know, Stanley lugging this m- massive crate down the street. Okay, here I go. Oh, hey, I can't pull it. You're too heavy. Hmm, I have looked at small fact, but I have a way out. As <laughs> we see the monster, you know, crash his feet through the bottom of the crate and just help Stanley, you know, by, by walking it along. Say, <laughs> hey, this is swell. I can pull it with you real easy now. Uh, but meanwhile, at the, uh, at the pet show, uh, good work, Dover, apparently uh, Stanley's boss. The show's a complete sellout. Thanks, Mr. Gerber. That's $10,000 for charity and great publicity for Barco Biscuits. I'm very pleased. Um, but uh, apparently two other people are very pleased as we see two plug uglies, <laughs> as the narration calls them. Uh, you know, basically two uh, two thugs. What I tell you, Smiley, a box office full of loot just for us and all done with no violence. I believe when this job is done, one tooth, go ahead. As uh, one tooth goes up to the ticket office. Pardon me, madam lady. One of these dear pets got loose and headed this way. Did you happen to see a white mouse? A mouse, says the uh, the old lady ticket taker. Eek! Let me out of here! And she goes running up. There you go, Smiley. Neat as a pin. After you, chum. There's The two thugs, you know, go into the uh, uh, the ticket office and and make off with the dough.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Here's the beauty part, says uh, Smiley. While the cops search the streets for us, we'll be right here, disguised as vendors. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, meanwhile. Inside, as the show begins, <laughs> we see the, the dogs talking to each other. Get a load of this dame. She's too cheap to fix her broken eyeglasses. <laughs> uh, she's holding, a, what, like those opera glasses? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lone you clod, says. Uh, what kind of dog is that? Lopsops, maybe. opsa. <laughs> it's used by only the finest nearsighted people. Goodness gracious, says the uh, lopsa. How humiliating. She's looking for fleas, as the, uh, the lady lifts up her ear, you know, to, to peek in. I knew she was cheap. Tell her to get her own fleas, says the, the other <laughs> dog, the, uh, what's that, like a bulldog. <laughs> what's that? As, uh, you know, from off-panel we hear, help! It's the, uh, the ticket-taker lady. The money! It's all gone! All $10,000! What? I blame you, Dover! Says, uh, Stanley's boss. That box office wasn't properly guarded. You're, you're, you're fired! <laughs> well, no wonder he's, he's so temperamental at home yep. all the time with a boss like that.
1: I wonder how many times he got fired this
0: week. <laughs> so, uh. So meanwhile, outside, you know, we see Stanley and the monster still uh, still heading up. Everybody's inside. We better hurry. I'll remain in here to, to where the judges stand, says the monster, you know, inside the crate. Then I'll step out with a dramatic flourish.
1: Good idea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, uh, you know, so as the two of them come into the, uh, the arena, Whew, so many animals, thinks the monster. It makes me nervous. Don't be silly, says Stanley. You're bigger than them. Say, do you smell something? Says the the <laughs> And how? Says it, says the bulldog. It smells like like monster. Let's get out of here. Dogs have very keen senses of the smell. They know when monsters about. But apparently humans
1: do not.
0: <laughs> Good grief! It's my son Stanley. Says Mister Dover. He's ruining everything. Mad dogs! <laughs> says the monster. All all nervous. Oh my bleeding nerves! I must leave instantly. Oh, you know who I'm doing the voice of? It just occurred to me. Doctor, oh, um, um, he's oh, lost from lost in space. Uh, oh the pain the, the pain yeah. yeah but i don't remember his name the, the evil doctor whatever um <laughs> so Stan's like no wait dog don't go oh dr smith <laughs> That's very a, good yes <laughs> so stanley says wait dog don't go how are you in the contest look that crazy card is moving itself says somebody off panel as all the dogs you know are still you know scrambling away and the the bulldog you know hits one of our, our baddies out of my way buster holding up progress says the the bulldog Ow, my ankle! Says the uh, you know the thug as the, the bulldog you know bites him, and as he does so you know the uh, the box that he was trying to get all the money out you know sort of spills Spill over him, yeah. yeah onto the ground. All that money! Shouts somebody from the crowd. He must be the crook. I don't know about one tooth. Says the, this crook. But I'm getting out of here. Stop, thief! Stop! As, uh, you know he's running away and uh, you know and then so too from the other side you know we see the other criminal. Psst, Smiley, over here, we can hide in this crate. As the two of them, you know, are approaching, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. Stanley's crate. And uh, and as they take off the door, who do they come face-to-face with? A monster! <laughs> but the monster it looks like he's equally afraid. Yes. Yeah, all right, close it fast, close it fast, he says. <laughs> but he finally gives up, you know, because obviously his fear has gotten the better of him, you know. Well, if you want that crate so badly, take it. I'm leaving. And so, oh, so now and, he's
1: fully exposed. Yes,
0: the monster scrambles away, knocking down the two criminals. You know, as uh, as Stanley arrives, and dog, dog, uh, pardon me, third, he says to the the crooks there on the ground. Did you see my nice work, son? Says a uh, an arriving policeman. You caught them both. Okay, you take you got us. Just take us away before that talking monster gets to us. Says the crooks. Talking monster. Says the the cop. Huh, that phony story won't help you. Did you see any monster, little boy? No, officer. Uh, only my dog. Says Stanley. Well, you're a fine lad. You save the box office money and your dad's job too. I'd say. I wouldn't draw that conclusion necessarily.
1: <laughs> How would he even know? Yeah.
0: So, uh, so later that night, you know, we see uh, you know Stanley and the monster back in the bedroom as uh, the monster says, "Yes, Stanley. If not for that policeman, I've destroyed those crooks myself. <laughs> you know, rewriting history." Yeah, so brave. <laughs> Death so oh, happy says Stanley. He bought me that bike, but we still need a new name for you. As the narration kicks in, saying, "Help, Stanley!" Can't keep saying math the Tootheth, so send your suggested names to Stanley's Monster, Fox and Crow, National Periodicals blah, 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 blah New York, New York, one, zero, blah, 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 <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah, so, uh, so that is the, uh, you know, the sort of rhythm of Stanley's Monster, you know, mm-hmm. very cute little stories, I think.
1: Yeah, very cute.
0: So, um, so this is, uh. These are the the two stories that we're going to cover tonight, um, but in very short order. I think you know we'll revisit this you know later in the the life of our podcast. Things are about to get uh, a lot weirder. You know um, we saw you know Stanley with this monster. You know as as you speculate you know may or may not be imaginary. Um, well that uh, that idea is going to get stretched to its absolute limits as uh, as more and more sort of crazy creatures enter into uh, little Stanley's life. But you know I'll just put that out as a teaser, and so the next time we cover this you know you might see. Uh, another addition to the, uh, the overall Dover household.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: So, um, so with that in mind, you know, you know there's a couple of short stories tonight, you know, if, if you'd like, you know, you could just consider this an introduction to Stanley and the monster, you know, there are only two eight pagers, you know, if you want to consider this the overall introduction, you know, you can just judge it as one or if you want to break it apart into two, you know, the, no you know, when's a dog, not a dog. And then, uh, you know, what was this one? The, uh, um,
1: don't pet the monster. <laughs> yeah,
0: please don't pet the monster. Um, so yeah, it's like, what, so you want to do it co- cohesively, just a, a single intro? intro? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Let's do that.
0: All right. So what are your what are your thoughts?
1: Okay, so um, very reminiscent of Dennis the Menace. You know, little kid inadvertently getting into trouble. Um, but I have to say, like, I I I did make the assumption that the monster was going to be imaginary. Mm-hmm. But if the crook saw him, then.
0: Oh, that's true. I didn't even think about that. The Kirk sound too.
1: Yeah, he can't be. So I don't know how it's going to play out later, Yeah. but I'm guessing it's going to be harder to believe that his uh, pseudo-imaginary friends are actually imaginary. Yeah, good point. Um, it's cute. It's, uh, you know, the lisp I thought was going to be a little annoying, but uh, that is how the character's written. Thank you for, you know, like, making it lively. <laughs> I can't, yeah. I can't, I can't <laughs>
0: wait to hear about that my voice in the playback. I have no <laughs> idea what that actually sounds like, but um, yeah, it's...
1: Yeah, they're cute. They're light. They're humorous. And like they're in, not like humorous as as before with Johnny Thunder. Like it's actually funny. <laughs>
0: you think Stanley Dover is funnier than Johnny Thunder, cool. Yeah, <laughs> I was
1: I was a little disturbed by uh how moody the father was.
0: Yeah.
1: But then to see like his mother buttering his father's tie because because <laughs> like he wouldn't pay attention to you. Like yeah. he's paying attention to your kid. Like calm down, sunshine.
0: You know what it reminded me of a little bit um <sighs> Mostly with the father's relationship to to the boss. Kinda of reminded me of like Bewitch, like Darren Stevens always getting fired by Larry Tate, you know, like Stevens. Yeah, that part account, did. You know? Yeah, but
1: uh honestly I have to say I, I couldn't see Samantha ever doing something like vindictive. Yeah, to day. Darren. Yeah, I, but I have the, that is the only thing that I saw that I you know didn't like her doing. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to harp on that too much. <laughs> um yeah, so overall it was cute. You know, was, you know, bird lives. Yeah. I like it. Oh,
0: very good. Awesome. All right, so uh, short and sweet tonight, or, you know, Thornton-thweet. <laughs> um, had to go there, didn't yeah. you? <laughs> so I was thinking, um, you know, because we, uh, like like I said, you know, uh, initially when I was sketching this out, you know, I wanted to hit certain marks with certain characters, you know, I had wanted the Johnny Thunder to line up to seven, blah, 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 you know, but that didn't work out. Um, but I do have a character I, I definitely wanted to hit for um, episode 13, but because we have extended a couple of our other ones, um, you know, what I'm going to do is... Pull out what I had planned for the next couple episodes, so we can definitely hit uh, episode 13 with this character. So what that leaves us with is basically an open spot next week. Um, so I think what I'm going to do is use that as a, a retrospective, um, you know, for our show thus far. You know, we'll have a discussion basically about. Um, the trends that we've seen thus far, you know, in the, the first six years of history, you know, like our um, our narrative has, has progressed now from 1960 through, you know, early 1966. Um, so, you know, you and I can just have a conversation about what your impressions are about the uh, the growth of magic, you know, in, in the DCU. Um, we'll talk once again about all the characters we've looked at thus far and sort of use that as, uh, as preparation, um, you know, to... Uh, to our, our, our next wave of, of the show. Okay. You know? So we use episode 12 to look backward, and then uh, a little bit of a hint, episode 13, uh, we use ep- episode to, uh, to talk backward. Um, <laughs> now, what that means, I think, you know, my, uh, my audience may know, but that's uh, a little I teaser for you. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so... All right, um, so once again, you know, we want to thank everybody for joining us. You know, we hope you had a good time tonight. And, uh, you know, as always, we hope to see you here next time on the Parliament of Rooks podcast.
1: Thanks, everybody.
0: People let
1: me tell you about my best friend. He's a warm-hearted person who loves me to the end of. people. Let me tell you about my best friend. He's a one. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or suggestions, you can email us at tporpodcast at gmail.com.